The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Madden. I recently had the good fortune to attend Pharma USA 2022 at the Philadelphia Convention Center in fabulous Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And when I was there, I spoke with pharmaceutical industry leaders and health experts about what their focuses are and what they're looking at working on in 2022 and beyond. This is Steve Madden, the general manager of MM&M. Welcome to the MM&M podcast, medical marketing and media show about healthcare marketing writ large. My guests here today are Mike Petrustis, the Senior Vice President for the U.S. Oncology Business Unit at GSK. And with him is Frank Spinelli, the Medical Director and Patient Affairs for the U.S. at Vive Healthcare. Guys, welcome. Yeah, thanks, no, thanks, for, thanks having for having us. us. How's the show going for you so far? Well, I, ju- I just got here, so this is my first show, so we'll see how it goes today. <laughs> first of all, it's great to see the energy and all the people that have come out today. It's Isn't amazing, it? Yeah. I'm just so I'm so glad to be back in person and to have ambient noise in a podcast that's not a leaf blower, a little kid yelling, or that's a, dog a bonus barking, for you right? to have yeah. ambient noise. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, coming to you live from the suburbs, it's the sound of a leaf blower. Anyway, we're here at a pharma conference, so we should probably just jump right in start by talking about what pharma companies are doing to build trust with their patient communities I mean trust is at the center of every relationship but it's even more important and the the importance of the trust has been heightened by the pandemic and everything that's come downstream from it so why is building trust so so important I'd like to I'd like to throw that open to both of you I would say I mean to your point Steve it's the foundation of any great relationship and for me trust is either given or earned and I don't. I think right now we need to earn it from all of our patients, colleagues, and peers. And the way we've started doing is by first and foremost listening. Uh, we believe in cancer care and specific in oncology. Every patient's journey is unique to them, and a one-size-fits-all model just doesn't work anymore. So, listening, and then making sure that we're continuing to adapt to the environment. It's changed from COVID, and it's just going to continue to change. Right. Well, I, I think it's at the heart of what a lot of pharmaceutical companies say. You know, patient centricity has become one of those catchphrases. But I think with Vive Healthcare, uh, we're focused on HIV. And I think if you look at the historical references of HIV over the past four decades, it's been driven by activism. In fact, GSK was the first to put out an antiretroviral. That was propelled by a movement of activism, if you look at ACT UP. So we had to continue that. We were in, we were indebted to those people, and so we have to have something that's more patient-centric than just saying patient-centricity or that we put the patient first. And we, we've done that, and I'm emblematic of that because I lead patient affairs. Mike, I know you're a trained pharmacist, but um, how, how has that influenced the work you're doing now? How has your training influenced putting patients? No, thank you, Steve. I actually grew up in Greece, and my passion in, in wanting to be educated and work as a pharmacist began there. And I think the two things that I've learned is, one, the importance of empathy, and two, uh, the importance of just continuing to be solution-oriented. I think when you work as a pharmacist, being able to put yourself in other patients' shoes, uh, you know, whether it's a disease or any condition that they're working with, to truly understand what the, the barriers are, potentially outside of the disease itself 
even looking at stigmas or other things that are maybe associated with it. And two, from a solution-oriented mindset, there are a lot of barriers outside of what we traditionally think of when we think of pharmacy and care. Like what? Like, what? like specifically meaning socioeconomic, pharmacoeconomic barriers and trying to find simple solutions that may not be the best at the time, but something that bridges you to potentially getting there in the future matters. Um, I think for me, you're key. Frank, we were talking earlier about trust, right? And, you know, clearly it's it's important in, in any relationship, doubly important in healthcare relationships, but it's really important and unique in the HIV space. What are the considerations that you take into mind for building trust in that space? Yes, it's very important to maintain trust. And as I said, you know, HIV has evolved over the past four decades. So you really, as a company, have to look at the landscape. Who are the patients that you are serving? What are their needs? And as we know now, the way the epidemic has gone, it's gone from being something of a gay white man in cities to now more concentrated in the South, affecting African-American men or black women or Latinx. And so as a company, you have to understand that. And that means bringing on talent so that we look like what the customer is looking for and we can speak to them in a way that they understand and going into those hard to reach places. You know, if you're living in Birmingham, Alabama, you might not be afforded all the same luxuries as somebody in Philadelphia or New York. So it's really important that we go beyond what we know are easy wins like in New York or San Francisco or Miami and really pushing ourselves to identify people and evolve that. So we have patient advocacy groups, but we're always striving when we meet with them is who are the other people that we're not engaging with? Who are the up and comers we should be engaging with so that we get a different perspective? Because that what happens is you become stale as a company if you just keep going back to the same well. So it's pushing yourselves beyond that. Does part of, uh, does part of trust building in, in, in the HIV space involve the patient's care circle? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it starts there. When, you, when I look at patient affairs, I think that their voice is incorporated in every step of the pharmaceutical model. They're there at, before discovery. We're asking them what their needs are. They're there looking at our clinical trials, at our informed consents, our plain language summaries. They're there when we're promoting our drugs and then even afterwards. So if we're not engaging with them in every step, then that's a big loss for us in the end. So part of establishing trust is is making patients feel empowered and making them not just feel it, but actually empowering them. Um, why is trust so important in, in terms of creating empowerment on both sides of the equation, for the pharma companies and for the patients? It's a great question and one you know, we've been working towards improving as an industry for quite a while. I think it's a little bit more complicated, to be honest with you, Steve, even more so in oncology. And the reason I say that is if you want to empower patients to take control or be active in their disease, um, in oncology, it's a little tricky, right? Because when you first get diagnosed, it's scary, right? So it's, it's to get a patient to be empowered enough to have the right conversation and also take control of their disease once they're diagnosed with cancer, for me, requires a lot of education and a strong foundation. And what I mean by foundation is once you educate and start the education process with the patient involving the caregivers, because they're gonna be a big portion of their care support team. And then once you've done that, then you can hope to sort of continue the dialogue and see them be more active in their cancer care and the control of their disease. But it's tricky, it's not easy to do. 
and I think that's a huge area of focus for us, certainly at GSK. Frank, would you like to address that question? Yeah, I want to go back to the point that Michael made. He said he grew up in Greece, and my parents are from Italy, and I think that unique perspective of having to explain things to parents whose language wasn't English first uh, made me keenly aware as a physician how I needed to approach patients. And now with Vive, I really want to empower patients because so often, like my parents, they would go to the doctor or healthcare provider and just do what they said. And here at Vive, we really want to empower people to ask questions, come with your own agenda. I never strayed away from patients who had Dr. Google or WebMD. I said, bring it on. Let's talk about it. And so often, many people feel intimidated by their healthcare provider. So we like to empower patients, whether it's with programs where we can educate them about our products or just educate them about the healthcare system, about drug development, how the pharmaceutical company works. Because all too often, it's easy to say, well, they're the best guys and they're making money but we want to partner with them so that they understand how the process works and how better to go back as an informed person to engage with their healthcare provider to ask really important questions about their own lives. Yeah and the one thing I was just gonna add to that Steve is I think we talk a lot about through the pandemic on how COVID has helped us look at some of the you know discrepancies in care in many of our underserved communities um, that still need a lot of our support. And I think the reality is we need to understand patients like to talk and work with people that look like them and sound right, like them. Right. So whether you're, you're Greek or you're African-American, that all matters, right? And working together with our communities to help bring that forward and, and improve that dynamic. Because the reality is, is we don't we don't have the diversity that we need in both our physician and our healthcare system, and that's in improving that will matter. So the pandemic highlighted a lot of that stuff, made it made it extremely uh, out in the open about how acute that issue was. Was there actually an opportunity in that? Did the did the um, did the pandemic present you with an opportunity to uh, you know, hey look, it's on the table now. It's easier for us to talk about equity or and and to talk about the development process, you know, Frank, you mentioned that. It wasn't so much an opportunity. It was uh, it was our privilege and right to help. You know, we serve a lot of aid service organizations or community-based organizations which were closing down. People weren't getting their medication. People weren't getting food. A lot of the a lot of patients that, that in HIV really relied on these organizations. So we had to pivot very quickly by doing virtual programs. We never used to do that. And we were doing that and engaging with them on online so that we could engage with people at home who were really languishing by being alone. They had no support networks. A lot of people living with HIV who are older especially don't have a lot of family support. So it was our obligation, I think is the better word, of really stepping in as a company and putting what we say, that we're patient-centric and we leave no person living with HIV behind, but actually helping the situation. And unfortunately, a lot of organizations did have to close down, but a lot of them solidified and joined each other. So I think it was more of an obligation than an opportunity, which we had to step in and do. Got it. Frank, how are your is your communication style evolving? Well, we've learned to be very good on virtual uh, programs. In fact, we launched a, 
a new drug that's an injectable and we couldn't do face-to-face uh, programs and we pivoted immediately and we bought simulators, we bought fake butts and we learned and trained my whole team on how to deliver that and it's, it's really tricky. Imagine trying to show people how to give an injection virtually. You almost have to do like a QVC training to do that. But it was being innovative. We, we were forced to be as innovative as the products we were getting approved by the FDA. So we really were, you know, just going with everything day by day. But I think it really helped us as a company to see how agile we could be depending on what were the obstacles we faced. One of the buzzwords in medical marketing is omni-channel. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the pandemic forced everyone to be omni-channel whether they wanted to or not. Mike, a question for you. What are some of the key considerations that you take into mind when you're talking about empowering a patient, um, especially when you're talking about you know, like, like care that we know sort of languished during the pandemic when in-person visits weren't, weren't possible? Yeah, I would say there's a couple of critical factors, Steve, for us. First and foremost is, again, continuing to understand that each patient's journey is unique to them. So just because you have a tumor that's maybe similar to someone else, your journey is going to be completely different. So just having that empathy and understanding where people are coming from is key. Two, it's working with survivors, working with patients that have been in our trials to help become ambassadors. Because we can say and help educate from the pharma perspective, but hearing someone else's journey, hearing some of the struggles uh, through many of the programs that we have in place has really helped patients understand. And to Frank's point earlier, there has been a lot of loneliness uh, through the pandemic. The care team and care support systems that have existed previously uh, may have not been able to be there. So finding technology to connect patients to patients. And we've also launched three drugs through the pandemic, connecting physicians to physicians. So when you say things like omnichannel, that's been completely redefined with both the technology we use, how we engage with patients, and hopefully how we will in the future. Do you have any specific examples of that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to patients, we have a great program, which is called Not On My Watch, where we actually have patients coming in and videotaping their story, putting up a podcast that they've done and shared, and other patients can come in and just listen to their story. And this is not content that GSK's built. It's a mother, it's a father, uh, it's a daughter that tells their journey. And what's great about this, Steve, is that even when patients unfortunately uh, pass, their families ask us to keep those stories on because it keeps their memory alive and it feels that their their father's, their mother's disease wasn't for naught, but now they can help other people moving forward. The power of stories is amazing, isn't it? So, And, uh, and you guys have a great story to tell and you've told it really well. Appreciate you coming out. You've been listening to the MMM podcast. My guests have been Mike Petrustis, Senior Vice President of U.S. Oncology at GSK, and Frank Spinelli, the Medical Director of Patient Affairs for the United States at Vive Healthcare. Guys, thanks very much for coming. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.